Welcome to the CCF Iowa podcast. Welcome back to the CCF Summer Study. We're going to be looking at 1 Timothy 3 in this episode. And last episode, we we talked a bit about um, some cultural context. And and today, I want to do a little bit more of, let's call it literary context. Um, because I think there's some, there's some basics that sometimes uh, th- that I, as, as a teacher, forget to cover. And, and I kind of come to this um, general level of understanding that that uh, an assumption of understanding that that I begin with and I forget to go through the basics um, and, and so one of the one of the things that I want to talk about today was that there's a, a specific type of literature that is happening within scripture that that each book of the Bible has its own not its own unique type of literature but is a type of literature it's written in a certain style and there's and there's earmarks of that style and important things that are going on that we need to evaluate and, and remember as we try to again um, interpret scripture and understand what what God is instructing us to do uh, what yeah, what we should do with that that text matters a lot upon what kind of text it is. So, like, you've got books that are, are wisdom literature, like the Psalms and Proverbs. That's what we refer to them as. Uh, you've got books that are that are prophets, like Jonah and Malachi and Hezekiah, and, and you've got books that are more narrative and telling stories. We've got the Gospel that's largely narrative because it tells about the things that Jesus was doing. Acts is a pretty narrative book because it tells all the stories about the early church and the apostles and, and what they did with, with this Gospel that they were given from, from Jesus. And then you've got these things in the New Testament. The vast majority of the New Testament is um, epistles, or letters, that are written from one specific person to a, a another either specific person or or a specific group of people. Um, so you've got letters like Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians that are lit, written specifically to a church, the church in Ephesus, the church in Colossae, the church in Philippi. Um, they're generally named by the, by the group who receives them, and that's how we tend to name most of our letters in. Uh, in the New Testament by by the group that's receiving it. And so when we look at 1 Timothy um, and 2 Timothy and Titus, the three letters that we are doing this summer, all of those are, are addressed to a specific individual. Titus is written to Titus. First and 2 Timothy were written to Timothy. Timothy is uh, the person who's been appointed to be the, the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Uh, he, according to to kind of early church tradition and history, uh, he's actually becomes the first bishop of the city of Ephesus. Now, there's always times when those titles are are kind of assigned posthumously, but either way, Timothy's an pretty important guy to the church in Ephesus, and because he's such an important leader in the church in Ephesus, Paul writes him this letter. Now, we we discuss this in in First Timothy one that that Paul and Timothy are really close, uh, that that Timothy was most likely Paul's disciple, which is why he calls him a, a true child in the faith. But but Timothy's a unique dude. Um, he's got some some different things going on. He is uh, he, he's Greek, but he's also Jewish. 
Timothy had a Jewish mother and, and a Greek father, and, and so he's a mixture of the, the culture that is in the city of Ephesus, uh, as, as I said uh, in, our, in our last episode on 1 Timothy 2, that Ephesus is a mixture of Greeks, of Jews, of Romans, and, and so Timothy himself is part of that mixture that he's half Greek, half Jewish um, by ethnic heritage. And so this would give him a fairly unique perspective on things, that he would have kind of an understanding of what's going on on both sides. And, and I think part of the reason that, that Paul wants him to continue on and, and stay in Ephesus to be the leader of the church there is because he understands some of the ways that that cultural mix, the culture mixes and, and some of the unique things that are happening there. And so... We've got, you know, this, we've got this letter that is really laying down um, specific things that are happening uh, in a specific cultural context. And so it's written, um, all the epistles are written to be first and foremost read, received, interpreted by the group of people that are are reading it. And, And so, again, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy to advise Timothy how to run the church in Ephesus that Timothy is in charge of. It's very centered on and and written in a way that Timothy would be the best one to interpret it. So let's just say that I was writing a letter today, um, which uh, for those of you that are maybe of a younger generation, uh, letters are things that people would write to one another and send uh, through through mail. Like you have to put a stamp on it and then you give it to someone else who then carries it to the person that you're writing the letter to. Okay, maybe that was a little bit ridiculous, but, but letter writing looks a little bit different than an email because it's got to pass through other hands. And there's an extra significant part to, to that um, because – especially in ancient times here, you've got, you don't have a mail service. You have specific carriers of of those letters. Someone that's been appointed, that's a trustworthy person that you know is going to be able to, is not going to lose the letter, that's going to get where it's supposed to. And then you're also given usually extra insights via that person. And and so what Paul would do is, is he would appoint someone to send this letter, to carry it to Ephesus, to give it to Timothy. And that person would actually read the letter aloud um, to Timothy and likely to the church of Ephesus as a whole. Most of these letters, even when they're written to individual people, are also meant to address the church at large, where it says specifically, Timothy, you do these things, but it's also recommending for the church to do those things as well. And the church would actually help hold Timothy accountable because they've heard the instructions directly from Paul. Uh, well, through his letter carrier, they've, they've heard these instructions from Paul. And so they would know what Paul has asked Timothy to do, uh, as well as, you know, how Timothy should be handling things. And so there's this extra weight and these things that are happening. Uh, so anyway, this letter carrier would have additional insight. And, and so he'd be able to explain some of the finer points where they're like, if the church doesn't quite understand what Paul's saying there, and they're like, okay, well, that part's a little difficult for me to understand. And he'd be like, oh, actually, Paul sent me some other things along those lines. He said, you know, to make sure that, that when you're reading this part, to be thinking about this group of people and that, that while he refers to, you know, women in general here, he's actually referring to this group of women within your church. And so that, those are the ones that you need to handle this way. it's hard to say exactly what's going on because we don't have recorded conversations of of the letter carriers, of what they were additionally given. And and so the thing is, too, is then when that letter moves from Ephesus to the next church, they are... um, 
given that extra instruction with that extra interpretation where, you know, they're sending someone from the church in Ephesus to say Colossae. I, I don't remember the exact uh, route that these letters would generally travel in. There's usually a specific way that they go from one church to another. Um, but if it goes from Ephesus to the next church, Smyrna or Pergamum or Colossae or whatever, whatever church it goes to next, that letter carrier would be able to have some specific interpretation saying, hey, I just came from the church in Ephesus. I want you to know this is how things look there. So even though this letter's written to Ephesus, this is kind of how maybe you guys could take it in your church. And, and so he'd help them understand some of that cultural context. And, and so this is all happening within this literary genre of a letter, that there's these things that are explained a little bit more. And, and so when we are digging into a letter like this, we are at really huge disadvantages because we're hearing, for one, one end of a conversation, just what Paul has said to Timothy, nothing about what Timothy has said back to Paul or what even maybe preceded this specific letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. We don't hear anything from the letter carriers that has some more of that cultural insight or just um, clarification on points that, that Paul was making where maybe needs a little bit more help we have to reconstruct all these things through through some research and through listening to to experts and and archaeological finds and and all kinds of other things that are going on that seem really inaccessible to us and so i guess what i'm trying to say is because of knowing this literary genre i i'm not saying that these words of paul are like less important or that that you shouldn't listen to the scripture here because there's this, this this thing about scripture that I trust that God is using it. I I trust the biblical canon that has been put together throughout history. Uh, that that God's been using all those voices throughout all time to show us certain things. But I do want to let you know that there are sometimes when these things. I guess I want to caution us against trying to universalize everything that we read in Scripture and just saying we have to take it at face value. We have to do literally what it says in every circumstance, in every context, and and we have to apply it. Now, this text, um, that's not going to be such a hard rule because of the way of the the way that the text instructs. Uh, I think that that if we use this. Let me try to read some of the text, and then we'll talk about what I'm trying to get at here. So this is 1 Timothy 3. Here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall into the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. There's this big, long list here of what someone who's a leader in the church should look like. And Paul's saying, Timothy... I know some of the things that's going on in Ephesus. I've spent some time there. You need these qualities in your leadership of the church in Ephesus. The problem that comes about sometimes when we view these texts as things to be taken literal is that we make this this like qualifications checklist for all leaders in the church and that we say, you've got to check every single one of these boxes in order to lead the church. Now, admittedly, 
if you use this as a checklist, you probably end up with some really good leaders because these are good qualities to have in any leader of the church. But I think Paul's emphasizing specific types of leadership. The book that we covered right before this was the book of Titus, and Titus is another place where there's a list of qualifications for leaders. But that's a different church in a different location. It's in, it's, it's in Crete, not in Ephesus. And so Paul has some different leadership qualities that, that he commends. Now, there's some overlap. There's some things that are just good qualities to have in any leader. And again, if you use Titus as your checklist, you're going to have really good quality leaders. There's nothing there, – there's no – it's not bad to use it as, as a checklist, but what happens is if you say that everyone has to absolutely meet every single one of these criteria in order to be a leader in the church, I think you're going to end up overlooking some really darn good leaders that maybe just don't quite fit because they're single. They don't have kids yet. Like there's, there's some things that if you take this completely uh, literal and, and completely say you absolutely have to be every single one of these things, every single aspect of all these characteristics – and have to follow it to a T, you're going to end up leaving out some really good people in your church that who could have been really great leaders um, because Paul's not writing to your context. He's not writing to your church. If you got a letter from Paul that was addressed to you, he might have different qualifications for the leaders for your church. And so absolutely use these as a template. Use these as a way to think about leadership. But the most important thing that I think we should draw from this passage, from the passage in Titus, for any other places where it talks about what leaders should look like, is the reminder that God looks at the heart. Don't pay attention to status symbols. Don't pay attention to wealth. Don't pay attention to influence. Don't even pay attention to to people who are really like strongly desiring to be leaders because they want to have power. Pay attention to their heart, to their deeds, to, to, to the fruit of their lives. If they're living godly, holy lives that set them apart, then those are the kind of people you want to have on leadership. If they are above reproach, that they're respected by everyone, even people outside the church, those are the kind of people you want leading your church because those are people that are going to have good influence in the lives around them. And those are the people that you want to be examples And so that's so much of this text I think is talking about is that Paul's imploring people to look at the heart for your leaders, for the important people in your church. Make sure you pay attention to their heart. Look at the inside, not the outside. And so uh, I think that's the main theme of this chapter is that as we look for leaders in in our own lives, in in our churches, that we need to pay attention to the heart. That's something that God always pays attention to. Um, There's some additional text in in chapter 3 that I think is worth reading, worth thinking through, um, uh, but I really wanted to emphasize the the aspect of church leadership and and the ways that, that we need to be paying attention to literary context to know that This was something that Paul was writing for a specific church in a specific time in a specific place. And it has specific instructions that were really good for that church. And there are absolutely still things that we can learn from it. 
but we shouldn't just completely apply it all and universalize it and say, well, this is how we have to run our church. But we can still get at what is the heart of the issue and what's the important things. And in this case, in this text, I think, again, it's that reminder that when you're looking for leaders, pay attention to their fruit, pay attention to their heart, pay attention to the way that they're respected and looked at by others, and not just people in the church, but people outside of the church. Make sure that they are kind and compassionate and hospitable and humble and, and those are the kind of characteristics that you want in your leadership. Those are the kind of people that others want to follow so that this gospel will spread and our kingdom, the kingdom will grow and, and, and God uh, and Christ Jesus will be viewed the way they're supposed to as, as ones who are compassionate and have a heart for everyone, even those, especially those outside of the church. So look for that in your leaders. Look for Jesus' characteristics. Look for the heart of things and not just what's important on the outside. But what matters most is what's on the inside. That's what God looks at. That's what we should look at when we look for leaders. Hey, thanks for spending time with us today. If you have any questions about what you heard or any interest in learning more about CCF in Iowa, then please email us at ccf.uiowa at gmail.com and we would love to get you connected.